giving yourself the room to fail and giving yourself the the pat on the back when you do a good job and just keep building your resilience. Resilience, I think, is the is the key thing of being able to bounce back from the bad days and really, really enjoy those good days because those those highs are pretty high. Hello and welcome to the Chip Away podcast. My name's Adam and I talk with passionate construction professionals, try to chip away at what it is to build, create and shape the landscape we live in. My guest for this episode is Catherine Ricketts. Catherine is the Wellington tradie lady, a first year carpentry apprentice who traded in art history for a sabre saw. We chat about career changes, learning on the job, the flexible work week and much more. Serial renovator, hobby farmer, business owner, yarns for days. Enjoy. So, Kat, thanks very much for coming on the Chip Away podcast. I appreciate it. We've been in touch over Instagram over something that you put up on your stories and, and got a lot of feedback, and I'm interested to get into that. At some point in the podcast but I want to start off how I usually start these ones off and just kind of ask a little bit about yourself starting with mostly how how did your journey into the trades begin and kind of what did you do in a previous incarnation and and why the leap into construction <laughs> oh that old chestnut well thanks very much for having me on it's really really cool to be here I suppose my journey well what am I 35 so a bit of a midlife crisis maybe with the career change but um it's really, it's loosely based around being self-reliant and self-sustainable and uh, just trying lots of things throughout life. I came from an art history and museums background um, back in my uni days and did about 15 years of working in art promotion and fundraising. When the GFC hit, uh, that was the arts and culture was one of the first things to get cut from government funding and... Uh, trust funding and and all sorts of um, all sorts of different income streams that the arts normally relied on dried up pretty quickly and um, so I had to become a pretty expert fundraiser in the middle of that um, we've seen that again with COVID funnily enough but um, you know every time a government budget came out you had to fight your corner and it was um, yeah it was cool I, I met a lot of really interesting people through that um, ended up traveling to Japan and living there for a while and living in Europe while well, living in England for two years as well. Um, and it was while we're living in England, me and my husband Lyle, um, that we did a bit of woofing, uh, which is world organic farming. I don't know if you've heard of it. I have. Yeah. Yeah. So for those listeners that haven't, you can stay on people's properties around the world in exchange for a few hours of work each day. Uh, and you, it's not skilled work most of the time, but it does help if you've got some some of those skills behind you and you learn about organic farming um, and help them out with their with their produce um, or building sheds or cutting firewood or, or anything like that. And it was cool. We we learned a lot and we, we stayed in some really unusual places that we probably wouldn't have visited. We went to one particular place in Portugal um, that was it backed up to a surf beach. It had amazing fishing. It was the most incredible rich soil. And I was just like, yeah, this is, this is a bit of me. This is, <laughs> mm. this is a bit of a dream. Mm. And um, 
while we were travelling around in our van around Europe, um, my dad rang uh, and said that he wanted to, he had been in construction and flooring for donkey's years um, and he was wanting to step away from it. Um, and so my brother and I bought the business off him about five years ago, um, which brought us, brought me and Lyle back to New Zealand. Mm. Um, and yeah, so just started setting up house in New Zealand and I think after we, we bought our first house um, and I started renovating that, I was just like, yeah, this is cool. I like, I like being able to change things and take out walls and change windows and mm. Yeah, it was it was really good. Um, but I was still at that stage working in charities and fundraising, and um, had a bit of a midlife crisis, big life event, and ended up flailing around a lot and not really knowing what I wanted to do. Knowing that I um, didn't want to step up in my role, the next sort of step up uh, was to be the general manager or the CE. And watching the people that did that, they lived it. They were in their home life, in their social life, wherever they went, they sort of represented their charities and represented their brandings. And it was a, it was a full on gig. And I just thought, nah, <laughs> mm. that's too much. That's too much for me. That's too much of one thing. Mm. Um, and sort of looked at life and went, what am I really enjoying? And what can I learn the most from? And what's going to keep me entertained? And that, um, yeah, sort of fell into place going, well, enjoying the Renos and <laughs> we've lived for long enough with no hot water and no kitchen that uh, I, kn I know that uh, I need to get better at doing it so I can do it faster. <laughs> All right. No, so, so then you decided let's have a look at this as a career. You know, how did, how did the apprenticeship start? How come you chose, I mean, carpentry in general? Was it because of the, the work that you were doing in the house and that was what you were drawn to the most? Um. It seemed to be the trade that was there at the beginning right through to the end. Um, I had uh, a man called Sean Coburn, who is currently my boss, um, running my build, um, and he was really great at facilitating the sub-trades. Um, he seemed to have a finger on all the pies. I went, oh, yeah, this this looks good. He seems to know what's going on um, right from beginning day dot uh, to hand over for, for photographs, you know, for um, – for the Insta. <laughs> so it was um, admiring what he was doing and, and how far he could take things. Um, I, my grandfather was um, a carpenter and a cabinet maker. Uh, so I don't, I don't know if that influenced me, but at least it didn't, it didn't de deter me at all. Um, can't be bad, you know, growing up around those tools and seeing those things. Mm -hmm. But um. Yeah, I just never really considered it. None of the other trades really, really rang my bell. Carpentry was always it. Yeah, nice. So then you go and seek out an apprenticeship scheme or did you do a pre-trade course? How did that happen in a kind of professional environment? <laughs> I set up an Instagram page. <laughs> <laughs> really? I went, how, how am I going to get a job? Hmm. Um, and my arts background had always been you know you you create a portfolio you show what you can do um before you walk up to someone and say i'm this and i'm that and i'm the bee's knees you if you can visually tell it in a story you're much more likely to get that across quickly and easily um and it sort of builds a trust mm. so I, I built my instagram page and um within 
I think about two weeks of putting that up, I had a job offer from a, a builder here in Wellington. Well, from his wife, actually. <laughs> she found me. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, yeah, so that was AJ Oaks building uh, here in Wellington. And it was a, a three-man crew. So I, I came on as the fourth. Um, and it was never, I think, I was probably, we, we're a bit casual, you know, we'll just get to know each other and see, you know, if it fits and after about two weeks he said yep you're my new apprentice and I said yep that's cool let's do this <laughs> that's fantastic so it yeah it was really good it was um really smooth um but when yeah when people do ask that question oh how do I get an apprenticeship it's like, uh, I don't know I have no idea I just I did my way um but everybody will have their their way of approaching it mm. Yeah, that's really interesting. You definitely, uh, from what you've just spoken about, you drew on your arts background and that's something that a lot of people might not think of when they approach uh, the construction industry is that, I guess is one thing Instagram facilitates now is you can really build up a profile of your work because before it was quite difficult, even in the past, when I've went for interviews, you might have a picture or two on your CV of something that you've built, but it's quite hard to really put all of what you can do across in a short verbal interview when, um, mm. especially in the trades on the front line, you're really judged by what you can do on site. So it's a bit of a different mm. environment. And I suppose having something like that to at least show that you're keen and, and display what you can do and what you've been doing, that's a pretty good idea. And it's, it's worked for you, you know, your um, Instagram page is really popular and it's, it's great. And, um, I can definitely see your kind of arts background shining through and how you present everything. So yeah, good on you. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I think a lot of people on Insta have that, um, that instinct for, well, you're showing what you value, aren't you? You know, if you, mm. if you do a really good job and you value it, you want to show people that and from it, the audience can see that uh, that's something that's important to you. Like I know on your page, you've got some incredible shots from your, um, your apprenticeship, which mm. is that, a, did you take digital photos of old school photos? Um, no, no, I'm not that old actually, but (laughs) (laughs) no, I didn't, no, yeah, no, this was, um, these were photos that my boss, kind of my mentor, the guy who, um, I did my time with, he, his daughter was a photographer and if we built a really Mm -hmm. kind of something really nice, she would go on and take a whole bunch of photos and, uh, just really for preservation sakes, you know, he certainly didn't have Instagram or he wouldn't even like uh, perhaps put them in a magazine or yeah, but uh, it was just for sentimental reasons to kind of keep them. And uh, yeah, I, he give me any ones that I asked for. So yeah, it is definitely cool to have that and to document your work. I spoke with a, a construction photographer Taragana from San Francisco, I think it is in, over mm. in, in America. And, you know, that's kind of her yeah. job. And, and she spoke a lot about that, about how important it is to document those images. And she spoke about, you know, the, especially on these huge projects that she was doing, these, you know, massive sky towers and whatnot, where people would be on those jobs for years and years and years. And then you walk away from it. And I mean, yes, it's, it's great to kind of drive past and say, Hey, I built that, but to have some sort of log of your, time and the hours you know i mean i'm sure even you'd know that as an apprentice you sink a lot of hours into a task so you want to kind of formulate 
the documentation of that in a way that represents the blood, sweat and tears that went into that. So yeah, I think that's quite cool that people are jumping onto that. Um, Maybe it's a younger generation thing who are more willing to kind of stand up and be counted or at least have their own little portfolio. Mm, mm. And it is, it's so cool. You know, you can forget in your day-to-day going, oh, I need to do that bracket and I need to find that window. Or it's, it's so easy to get caught up in the minutiae like that, that you walk in and go, wow, that is so different from what I walked into three months ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, like you, when you look at those images, it, it represents a journey for you. It's like, I developed the abilities to do that thing that's in that photograph. You know, it's not just an object for you. It's a whole experience. So, uh, yeah, it's quite cool. And when you when you see other people put up their work or you have a kind of respect for it because you know what went in behind that end glory shot after a few years of building or whatever it may be. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, let's go through your apprenticeship so far. So you're still an apprentice, aren't you? How far through are you? Uh, so I am a year in. Mm -hmm. one year in I wouldn't say that I'm at the level of a one-year apprentice I started from a pretty low bar Mm. um, and I've definitely come from a background of you know I'm not particularly sporting Um, I've a lot of the guys that I speak with you know they they would have done a bit of roofing or a bit of fencing or they've sort of come from you know they could handle tools which Mm. I was so green when I started so yeah I'm a year in but definitely got a long way to go yeah so I mean, let's talk about it in a bit deeper. So, I mean, highs and lows in this year. I'm interested especially to, I mean, it's a big move, you know, the career change. Uh, it's worth lingering on. It's uh, For you, it seemed to happen quite naturally and you were quite confident moving into that. But I can imagine there's some people out there who, are, like you say, if you have no practical skills coming into construction, uh, uh, pat on the back for you to want to give that a crack because uh, yeah that would deter the best of us I think really especially when you uh, when you realize you know maybe your first day on site and you get tasked with something quite simple and you know you're just like oh my gosh I've you know never even realized what I can't do and how much I could actually do if I if I mm. learn all this it's pretty cool so yeah how, how's it all been? Um, it was definitely it was definitely quite shocking. I think ignorance was bliss in those first couple of months. Um, I was surrounded by I had two experienced carpenters and one apprentice that had been in the game for about six years. So um, ignorance was bliss in the fact of like I was like, well, I'm new. I don't know how to do this, so I'm new. So um, I the the learning happened quite steeply. Um, obviously, you get thrown in the deep end. Um, I sort of had this expectation in my first couple of months that I would be on the broom 24-7, that I'd be carrying stuff 24-7. I have quite that old-school mentality of the the apprentice turns up 15 minutes before everybody else and unlocks the site and gets the power out. And um, that sort of faded away because there doesn't seem to be a culture of that as much anymore. Um, Some of the older guys talk about it, like Mm. the apprentice finishing – 15 minutes before smoker so they could go and put the jug on and set out all the cups of teas and stuff like that. But, Mm um, no, I went, I went straight into, um, you know, the cutting and the measuring and the lifting and the, um, which was scary, but cool at the same time. I was coming home absolutely shattered, but absolutely buzzing because I had learned how to fix a jib hole, which I'd been doing very unprofessionally in my own homes. And to be able to, 
to do something so cleanly and professionally um, after DIYing it and watching it on Google and yeah, mm. it's um it's a pretty cool feeling. And it's um looking back over the last year and in you know, something so simple as putting up a sheet of jib or um being able to build shelters for my animals that don't fall down after three months. <laughs> Yeah. Understanding the concept of, of weight bearing and, and wind resistance and things like that is um it's happened happened much quicker than I thought it would. Yeah, that's that's testament a little bit to the industry at this time. You say that there was that kind of old school culture and I've actually been on sites where it's still like that a little bit. The the first year apprentices making coffees for everyone and and on mm. the broom most of the day. But I think you're right for most part that's going away because probably just needs must really it's such a fast-paced industry yeah. it's so competitive if you're paying someone these days especially you know minimum wages uh some would argue is far too much for someone who has zero skills and is costing their employer money others would say apprentices need to be paid more highly uh <laughs> it's an interesting argument that's for sure but um i guess what and i'm I see the benefit of it. yeah you know I, I do see the benefit of that slightly um to get the pace of a construction site uh, mm. to observe how the hierarchy works to observe how what tools are being used and how to hand hand them to somebody that needs them to there's there's all sorts of things that come with um that introductory period mm. um which could be beneficial but at the same time it is we're crying out for bodies on the tools <laughs> yeah yes i think it's a balance so eh, because you know, the speed that apprentices are expected to learn at these days, um, it is, I think, a little bit sink or swim, but you will get to learn a lot quicker. You know, there was an old adage that my mentor used to say that apprentices in his day, almost if you didn't have the aptitude or the go kind of for 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 the game, then you would be left on the broom. And uh, back in those days, I think your apprenticeship was 12,000 hours and it, you didn't have to kind of tick off units or anything like that. It was literally just time in the game. And some, you know, some people would be coming out qualified carpenters and that, you know, hardly ever framed a house up or something like that. So that there's definitely a balance where you want enough time to give someone to learn how to handle a grinder properly and not give it to them on their first day and be like, you know, hurry up. We need to get this Rio down because we're pouring this four in a couple of days. It's, there's definitely a balance there that needs to be struck. Definitely. I'd linger a little bit longer on the whole career change thing and just how yeah. you found it personally for you. And, and, you know, would you encourage others out there to, to give construction a crap because after your, year in it would you agree that it's not for everyone and even though uh, sometimes the grass does look greener and hey i'm gonna take a (laughs) career change and go and be a be a builder it's um yeah from the outside looking in it's um it's not as easy as what some people think perhaps definitely not there's a lot of layers to it you know you i can hear when I when I was making the decision, I could hear people talking about cashed up builders. You know, there was a lot of brand new utes on the roads. Mm. There was this, that, the other thing. Then, and the margins still aren't massive for some styles of building work and some um, approaches that people take. Um, but and it, it can be a really rough industry as well. I've seen I've seen some guys um, take a real uh, emotional beating um, through 
uh, either mistakes they've made or things they're not able to own up to or mm. it's um as a as a newbie coming in and i've always been in heavily supportive environments uh heavily team-based you know it's 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 not sink or swim individually you you all have to have to go for it otherwise um you won't achieve your goals which is very similar to the building industry you know mm. you're layering your work on top of somebody else's um which can be quite high stakes you know if if you come to do your day's work and you've got everything laid out and then all of a sudden you see uh, a mistake that's been swept under the rug um, that can create tensions um And it is, it is something that I haven't seen dealt with particularly well. Um, maybe because those, those, uh, those stakes are higher. Mm. But, you know, the, the whole mental health statistics in the construction industry don't surprise me anymore. Mm. Um, those health stats can be pretty, um, pretty shocking and... You know, I was very quick to dismiss it of, of oh, well, you know, it's, it's the boys. It's, it's not the boys, it's the industry itself. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, it's, there's huge amounts of money. There's huge amounts of, of you know, if, if you're dealing with somebody's home, that's their biggest asset, that's their biggest love, that's their, the place they're going to put their family. Mm. Um, it's people's careers and lives. And, you know, it, it all starts off with ruining somebody else's day or, not ruining somebody else's day, but you know, there's 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 a lot of there's a lot at stake, and there's a lot of um, a lot of um, balls in the air for most people. And I think that whole team environment is incredibly important in fostering that um, support and friendship and uh, trust. Would yeah, it's it goes a long way in in uplifting everybody. It makes it sound like every day's tough going. You know, there's still some incredible things um, about doing the career change to the age that I was um, and, and entering into the entering into the construction industry as a woman. Um, it's a great time to be a woman in the construction industry. We're getting pushed forward a lot. Um, I've received incredible support from BCITO in the form of um, scholarships and advice and um, then are gathering their female apprentices so that we know each other. You know, we may not see a woman on site week to week, but we do know that there's others out there um, because we've been to these events. We've had pizza nights and chatted and, yeah, shared, shared experiences. And, again, Instagram is the place that that's happening as well with, mm. you know, Sparky Girl who'd been on your site and She Builds Bro is another um, totem pole for, for women in the trades. Yeah, absolutely. I was speaking just last night. I recorded a podcast with uh, Kylie Trafford from Women in Trades. And, yeah. you know, she was speaking about the need for an authentic voice for women. And in my opinion, that voice at the moment surely has to be Instagram, really. I don't know what that kind of means or what it could be, but it's great to see so many people, men and women, like celebrating their careers um, on Instagram and the mm. kind of exposure that, you know, you're um, shining a light on could perhaps help a lot of other people, you know, make similar moves or at least get a look through the window into what a career in construction can look like coming from a place where you have no background or, or practical skills mm. that would you could apply to that job. So, yeah, 
pretty cool opportunity, I think, at the moment. Absolutely. And that seems to be a reoccurring theme uh, with people that I'm meeting and talking through talking to through Insta is that that helping young people or taking the questions from young people or career change people. I've, I haven't had a lot of people question me about career change, um, but I have had a lot of young people going, how do I do this? Where do I start? Where did you start? Who do I talk to? Um, and being a, you know, it's a, it's a channel for conversations. It's a channel for reaching out. And it is, it's, it is really cool how that seems to be a bit of a light that draws in the people that are interested. Yeah, a hundred percent. And and it's just fun also just looking at it and going like, Oh, even myself, I'm quite new to the whole social media thing, but I've really enjoyed seeing how many people love this industry and love this job and want to share mm. it with others. It's uh yeah, it makes you want to do the same. It makes you, it makes me, at least I speak for myself. It makes me more excited about this industry and about the job where there's, that again, go back to it, there's a lot of different layers to it. You know, some people do just see this industry as their nine to five and don't really think all that much more about it. But, you know, you can write a story around a construction journey like you do that makes it, you know, really compelling, I think, and, and can give a lot of meaning to your to your life, really, that, you know, to pursue a career in construction. It's, um, it's not for everyone, but if it's for you, it, it's such a fantastic path. Mm. And it doesn't have to be forever either. You mm. know, this can be part of something larger that you're aiming for. Or, um, it is something that I think sets you up for so many other pathways and skills. I think carpentry, especially being the framework that hangs so many other trades off it, um, literally as in framing gets put, <laughs> 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 um, piling and, you know, glazing and all sorts of different, yeah. It's um, it's a pretty, pretty, uh, pretty cool industry to be a part of, and pretty cool trade to to be learning. Yeah, definitely. And again, you know, your Instagram profile is great, and it's again, it's a great example because what I like is that your my um, kind of objective experience of Instagram is it's where people go to show off, but really uh, sometimes you can find people and maybe more so in the construction industry who aren't perhaps naturally that flashy individual where you're sharing your journey and you're being honest about it. You know, you're sharing um, mistakes and you're sharing things you're struggling with and your your kind of difficulties, uh, the highs and the lows, which is, you know, it's a really honest view of this industry like we've been speaking about. There's the highest of highs and the lowest of lows and the stakes are high. Mm. So I just, you know, surely that kind of, if you set yourself up with an, uh, an honest mindset and, and, you know, that, that willingness to learn and getting ready for making mistakes, that's kind of going to see you right, I reckon. Mm, mm, definitely. Yeah. So you recently did a number <laughs> of stories um the kind of concept of the work week within the construction industry i think specifically let's talk about new zealand because there were some cool examples that came up through that of what other countries are finding so i'm interested into what you think the current environment is in new zealand and perhaps from Mm. what feedback you've received or coming into the industry kind of from having a career previously how you see you know, the way that it's always been done and could it ever change in terms of 
what can we do with a flexible working schedule in a construction environment? You know, could it could it work? Could the main contractor really be only working four days a week? And how I wonder, is it up to employees to push for this change? I'm just interested what feedback you got from that and just what you think about that in general. Yeah, I I um I was really surprised by the explosion of communication I had around um, having a shorter work week, the potential of a shorter work week. Uh, it was something that I was just having a little rant, <laughs> a little <laughs> rant about instead of exploring. And I got messages from around the world, which was phenomenal. Um, I, I currently work in a role which is 45 hours a week, which I, is not that bad for the construction industry in New Zealand. Um, but I came from a 30-hour-a-week office job. Um, so I have spent a year um, doing the 45-hour the week and find it quite difficult to run all of my other projects. Um, and there's an argument there to say that being an apprentice, you've got to really focus and you've got to dedicate uh, yourself to that learning. Um, but I'm old enough and ugly enough that I've got a lot of, strings to my bow that I need to I need to balance you know I've got I've got family I've got another business uh, I run a small lifestyle block in, in Wellington um, I've got my own renovations which I've been doing and um, I just found that I was running myself ragged um, my apprenticeship was always the top of that it was you know make sure you get enough sleep make sure you do your homework um, you know if you're doing rab the next day have a look at your rab installation guide and if you're doing jib read that one as well but um, I had a lot of things that were falling by the wayside and COVID really brought that to the front. Um, our flooring, our family flooring business um, is just going gangbusters. Uh, it seems to be everybody's been sitting at home looking at their floors going, yeah, no, we can't, hmm. can't, uh, can't have this going on. And so um, a lot of the support that I had been receiving from my brother and from my husband uh, sort of evaporated because they're absolutely uh, driving things at the moment and um, just sort of started floating the idea um, with some of my workmates with some of the other people on site going have you ever heard of people doing a three or four day week um, you know having like a, a 30 to 30 to 40 hour work week within the construction industry and um, nobody really had um, a handful of the guys had negotiated um, late starts if they're dropping the kids at work um, couple guys um, Quite often, there's Saturday work going in our company, uh, so their hours will be bumped up more than bumped backwards, um, and it was sort of frowned upon or just sort of the fact that I didn't do Saturday work was always a little bit of a bone of contention. Um, I think that didn't endear me. Um, and then to sort of start talking about, oh, well, what if I could do even less? <laughs> <laughs> it was probably not the best. So what did I do? I turned to turned to Instagram um, and went, "What do you guys think? How do you guys um, how do you guys deal with this?" And uh, I'll only sort of talk about what I believe to be comparable countries um, who have similar cultures to us, who have a similar work week, who generally have a similar family style. You know, you don't have grandparents. Or, you generally don't have grandparents at home looking after the kids full time in New Zealand. You know, there's there's people around to help, but um, I think sort of Canada, Australia, and the UK um, are fairly comparable. 
and um, the Australian electricians, I had three of them come back to me saying that they have a nine-day fortnight, which I thought was a nice compromise, which was they had every second Friday off. And that was sort of a rolling thing that they were able to organise. Well, it was, a, it was a given, so they didn't have to organise themselves or any cover or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it sort of came down to if a job had to be finished, it had to be finished. Um, but again, I have a little bit of pushback on that because I have never had a relaxed run-in to the end of a job. And to me, that's poor planning. Mm. In events management and uh, fundraising campaigns and any sort of planning, timelining that I've ever done in any of my other careers, if I had to call on every single human resource around me to get it across the line late, that would be really frowned upon. Mm. But it's the absolute normal in construction, which just blows my mind. And there's, there's, a, there's a lot that feeds into that. Um, but riding your people um, with extra hours as a normal um, you know, you, you, you could set your clock by it going, oh, well, coming up to Christmas, everyone's going to have to work Saturdays or everyone's going to have to do late nights because we'll have to meet X deadline because that's what we said we'd do. Mm. Um, that, that feels like a hiding to nothing to me. Um, but, yeah, having if – you, if you have that nine-day fortnight like I was talking about in Australia, um, it gives you that opportunity to take your car in for a warrant, to go to the doctors, to go to the physios, all those things that can be a little bit difficult. If you're working from seven to five each day, you're outside of normal business hours and you have to take some time off in the middle of the day anyway of a work day to be able to achieve these things, which can be quite disruptive to the workflow. Um, I know that if I'm working one-on-one with a carpenter and then he's got to go off for three hours for whatever reason, um, that, you know, you, you manage it. Um, but having a, an easy-flowing work day where everybody's on site, you know who's there. If somebody disappears, you're like, okay, they've fallen off the scaffold rather than, oh, no, no, he had to go get a warrant for his car. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> sort of, yeah, it just, it just leads into the, the easy flow of the work. But um, the, U- the people that I heard back from from the UK seem to have a much more family-friendly environment. It was based around um, both parents having equal partnership in the care of the kids, really. Mm. So you had whoever was working on the, on the construction site, whether it was the mother or the father, they had to do half of the childcare. They had to do half of the school pickups. They had to do half of the school drop-ups. They had to do, you know, sports day or swimming day or, or all that sort of stuff. And so it was just built in. And, and that was given as much importance as um, the full work week or the, the larger work week, in my opinion, of um, 50 to 60 hours. So it was it was interesting hearing back. Um, there definitely was um, a lot more positive uh, feedback um, from the internationals. Didn't hear a lot of horror stories, but 
the New Zealanders, wow, that it was, you could have written the response for for everybody that had come back, which is, I do X huge amount of hours, or I have done X huge amount of hours back in my day with this huge note of pride. And they were really, um, it was gloating, right? It was it was something to to really be proud of, but I'd always go, oh, was that was that something that you wanted to do? Was that something that is that sustainable? Was that common? And asking a few questions like that, none of them were happy about doing it. Mm. This sort of um, you had to be happy about it because if you weren't happy about it, it would break you. <laughs> <laughs> Seemed to be quite common. Mm. So. Um, just, you know, I'm not an expert in this field. I'm just coming back off, off sort of 60 or 70 people talking to me online about it and talking to my site, uh, the guys on my site. And it does, um, it does seem to be something that New Zealand's not quite there yet. And some of that might hark back to what we were talking about earlier, that we just don't have enough bodies on tools. Mm. We don't have enough people in the industry at the moment to achieve all of the projects that are happening. But it's um, it's on the horizon, you know. If people want the type of staff, um, you know, a, a, fa- a person with a family tends to be more stable. A person with a mortgage definitely isn't going to want to miss a paycheck. There's all these sort of indicators of stability that you want in an employee. But those indicators also mean that they have other things in their life that are really important. And so having work-life balance, uh, I, I believe, is going to become more of a demand in future. Um, and if employers aren't ready for it, uh, they might find that they are missing out on the best employees and the best talent. Yeah, exactly. That's a, that's a lot of fair points there. Uh, d- so do you think that moving forward, is this something that's going to have to be in, driven by the employee? You know, you do hear of of other stories in in different industries where companies will say to their employees, if you can do five days work in four days, then, you know, we we shouldn't have a problem with you taking Friday or Monday off, I suppose. So do you think it depends on the employee? Will we have to really fight for this? Uh, Or is this something that employers might wake up to and think, like you were saying, is it really a great idea to drive your labor resource so hard uh, when you're trying to kind of inspire some sort of passion or um, commitment to the given project that you're trying to get along the line is is the best way to do that tight planning I mean it is hard in our industry there's not a lot of margin um, programs are really lean there's the schedules there's a lot that goes into that but you know, perhaps we can inspire the workforce to be more involved in the idea of delivering the project on time when you're not, you know, getting them to work six days a week and, you know, put up 60 hours like it's it's nothing. Yeah, it's, I mean, I don't know about you, but the five days that I do at the moment, there is no way I could fit that into four. Mm. Fatigue would be, like that amount of work, fatigue would probably be an issue. Um, there's, you know, there's, could you, you know, if you, could you get deliveries? Could you get your, um, 
could you get your materials if you had a four day week? Mm. Could oh, doing an eleven hour day if you from seven in the morning till half past five at night on your feet on the tools? You know, there's some tasks that you could do that repetitively do those amount of hours. But if you're throwing up rab board three stories up on scaffold on in the wind in Wellington, you know, mm. I don't know that that could be an 11 hour day, <laughs> day in, day out. <laughs> you may yeah. want to jump off the scaffold. Yeah. Um, and you're going to spend Friday just in bed exhausted <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and is that what some, you know, is that what some people in our industry are doing anyway on Saturday morning mm. doing the body recovery? Oh yeah. Um, the in New Zealand we had um the company Perpetual Guardian um which is I believe uh, they look after money in some way shape or form trusts and wills and things like that and they they originated the four day work week in New Zealand um mm. as to quite a bit of hullabaloo in the media and they sort of handed it back to their employees and said um we believe that you can do the same amount of work of five days in four, but you have to arrange it and make sure that all of your bases are covered. You know, marketing has to make sure that their, their stuff is done and HR has to make sure and da, da, da. So they handed it back to their employees. And I, I looked at that and I just went, I don't know how I would arrange my day to fit more in. No. I just, <laughs> I just, if, if you stand back and you're looking at a wall and you're having a think, it's because you need that space to think through the next layers of what you're working. You know, you're not yeah. resting. You're thinking about what's happen, happening next and what was the three steps that you did beforehand to make sure it was correct for what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know. It's 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 a hard one. And um, I think doing a doing a 30 or 40-hour week in the construction industry would actually bring productivity down but mm. hey we've got got a fair amount of research saying the opposite when it comes to other industries and that includes like hospitality industry as well so i don't know until somebody does it we won't know no yeah i think speaking from our specific trade if anyone's going to be last to adopt it it's going to be the builders it's going to be the main contractors and the carpenters because I think sub-trades could find a way to do that. Perhaps, uh, like you say, sometimes a project needs delivering on that day um, and maybe that's how it works. But, you know, as a main contractor, there's so many other people who are going to come onto your site that you have to manage. Uh, and if you shut up shop for one whole day and, you know, other people want to be in there working, it's just, yeah, I don't know how we do that. Uh, I think it's going to take some serious planning because like you say, I do some long hours myself and there's some days where I sit back at the end of the day and I'm like, I couldn't have done today any faster. Like there's nothing more I could have fit into that nine and a half hours. It just, Mm. it's not even possible. So yeah, I don't know. I don't think you're going to curb the, clients expectations that we've kind of set ourselves by driving ourselves quite hard to be like actually now it's going to take a couple more months on average to build a house and you know you're just going to have to suck it up i just can't see us having enough kind of uh brute force to make that happen 
But then there's the argument of, well, we have set those expectations. Yeah, exactly. And we, we set the programming on a project normally. And we're over <laughs> we're over time every time anyway. <laughs> so why not push that out even further to preserve our people? Mm-hmm. Where's the value? And that's, and that's where we're placing value, where we're placing um, importance, uh, where we're placing you know, what's an expendable, what what can be moved and what can't be moved, I think. As usual, you know, they change with every generation, they change with every, um, you know, cultural influence that comes through. It will be an ongoing evolution. Yes, and, and you're right because perhaps currently in this country the culture is you take pride by saying how many hours you did even though you maybe didn't enjoy it all that much but that's kind of how you see the industry or see yourself you know getting respect as like you know I'm someone who works hard I have a hard work ethic I'll put up the hours I'll I'll do it and that's where you derive some value from and I mean that plays into the hands of uh, you know the businesses and the clients it's like great you know they want to keep going and working harder so we'll get the product faster and uh you know, it's a it's a pretty dirty cycle, <laughs> a little bit, at yeah. least for the employee, where it's like, you know, you get the pat on the back for working hard and putting the hours in, but then, yeah, you don't have time for your other projects, as you say. Absolutely. And, you know, the difference between taking, taking your time and carrying stuff properly and getting it up properly and not injuring yourself. I've seen some of the young lads, you know, how many how many sticks can you carry at once? Can you run it up that hill? Can you? And it's a bit of bravado. And it's good fun a lot of the time. But yeah. sometimes it can be um, to, the, to the detriment of um, you might get it done faster today, but tomorrow you're going to be paying the price and you're going to be so slow. And you might be sli- your reactions might be slightly slower and you may not be able to catch yourself when you trip or you may not be able to grab that pole or... You know, there's there's always a price to pay when you overextend yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, there is. Um, yeah, that all plays in plays into that quite nicely, I think. And um, kind of to change tone a little bit, I want to want to ask mm-hmm. a little bit more about your personal experience on site, and you know, going into construction with no practical background, as we talked about. What's great, really, that's that is kind of the starting point for most apprentices at least that they're not having to do these tasks day in day out and be good enough to do them where someone will pay the money to do them so uh mm. that whole process being an apprentice is so much fun you know i look back on my apprenticeship really fondly it was um there was a lot of teething problems and uh you know really and and what i want to ask you is there was a lot of self-learning not just uh technically but learning a lot about yourself and how you learn and how you work this and uh what's the right amount of expectation to set yourself and you know you know how how hard exactly should you be on yourself when you make a mistake and i just find that interesting that i feel that this industry really can change who you are or, or shape uh, your personality or at least give you a whole different view on what the practical experience can bring to someone's life. So I'm interested in kind of perhaps if you would share uh, mm. some things that you've learned about yourself through this journey so far 
uh, and and how you've managed all those different things along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, I I know that I have a, a really strong goal in mind about why I'm doing carpentry and, and what I want to achieve from it uh, and what my starting place is. I don't I don't um, think that I'm the bee's knees. I think I'm coming from quite a humble place of going, yeah, no, I, I'm pretty much a drunk Bambi trying to get through the day. <laughs> um, coming from a place of knowing what I want to achieve from it, um, every everyone has an opinion about where I should be in my learning. Mm. Everybody has an opinion about what I should be prioritizing in my learning. Uh, everybody, and that comes from a really good place. You know, it's coming from a place of wanting to help me, um, wanting to share their experience, what works for them. Um, but it's, it's such a personal journey. How people uh, react to mistakes is different. How people react to having a bad learning experience or getting told two different ways to do the exact same thing and not knowing which way to go on it. Um, it it's such a personal journey. Um, and like you said, you, it, it can change you. You know, you, you could have somebody that, gets quite upset with you that you're not learning at a certain pace or not learning a certain way of doing things. And then you can have other people that <laughs> that will tell you, oh, there's so many different ways to skin a cat. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's so many different ways to skin a cat, which is absolutely true. And mm-hmm. it's all the different levels of um, patience that people have teaching you. Mm. Um, there's, I found there's vastly different styles of coaching. Um, and I say coaching because the ones that I've found the easiest to learn of have been deeply involved in team sports. Mm. And sort of the higher level they went in team sports, the easier they are to learn off because mm. they have this um, learnt ability to create team. They've got this learnt ability to um, mentor. Um, they've got... They, seem, they, they take on the responsibility um, quite seriously. But it's, um, I kind of forget the question. I think it was something about the, the learning um, journey and how it affects you as a person. Um, and I think I'm, as a 35-year-old, I'm mostly formed now. <laughs> so I don't know what it's going <laughs> But um, trying to be humble uh, is my number one. Um, it's it's a trait that I value really highly um, and it was a huge part of the reason why I chose building I knew that I was not going to be very good at this thing and I have to be humble and I have to accept that there's going to be some really bad days and there's going to be days that I'm going to be really annoyed that I don't know how to do something or something uh, seems like common sense but I just can't seem to make sense make make the process work in my mind instead of recognizing that there's yeah. people around me that have been doing it for 12, 13, 20 years. So it is common sense to them. But sit down to do a budget or do something to do with accounts, that seems like common sense to me. So it's giving yourself the room to fail and giving yourself the the pat on the back when you do a good job and just keep building your resilience. Resilience, I think, is the, is the key thing of being able to bounce back from the bad days and really really enjoy those good days because those those highs are pretty high yeah couldn't have said it better myself actually i I wonder if 
if it, the construction industry or your experience of it so far has met your expectations in terms of uh, it's going to be difficult, but also, you know, in my opinion, what makes it great is it is difficult, but it's certainly like worth the challenge and you feel that you're learning something that has power beyond it's your job. It's a really engaging practice to be involved in learning something like this, which, you know, thousands of others have learned for many thousands of years. So I just wonder if it's met your expectations in, in terms of being worth it, being worth the career change. Is it, do you think it's a worthwhile career? Like you say, you have an end goal or, or something you're aiming towards um, in this industry. So do you think you're getting there? Do you think you're going to get there? Is it going well? Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. Mm. It's um, um, this the you just can plateau um, or the project that you're working on can plateau and you're doing the same thing for three weeks at a time. Um, I'm working like commercial at the moment, so literally, if we're doing um, if we're doing doors, we're on doors for a couple of weeks. If we're doing insulation, you're doing insulation for a very long time. So you can there can be times when you plateau, but um, the majority. You, you, you do get some really great learning opportunities and that's where I get um, my, my joy from and that's where I get um, that buzz and I know that I'm achieving what I set out to do, which is continue to, to pick up different skills as you, as you move through life. And it's really cool that you pick up on the fact that, you know, there's, there's billions of people in the world that are doing this alongside us, every culture, right back to the ancients. And uh, one of the, one of the guys I was working with really closely um, was saying one of the reasons he got into building is it's always going to be there. We can go through COVID. We can go through global financial crises. People will always have roofs over their head. They will always want to decorate those roofs in a beautiful fashion. <laughs> they will mm. always want to show their personalities through their homes. Uh, we've got grand architecture, state architecture, national architecture that shows who we are as New Zealanders. Um, you talk to people that have worked on some of the things, uh, some of our government buildings, um, you know, they take huge pride in this building that's going to be standing there for 100, 150 years. It's part of our artistic background. It's part of our visual culture. Uh, it shapes us as people. And to be able to be a part of the creation of that, I think is a pretty exciting thing. You know, it's, you're part of a, a really, really big team. The builders around the world. It's um it's it's really funny because people who used to ask me what I did did for a living and I said I did uh, I worked in art promotional fundraising, that often ended the conversation because <sighs> they didn't understand it or they didn't get it or they weren't interested in it. People love to talk about building. It's something they connect with. It's something they know about. Everybody knows one. Everybody has an experience with one. Um, and even if it's to challenge me and go, well, how much of a builder are you? How qualified are you? Show me your hand. <laughs> <laughs> Which is possibly not something that the men get, but it's still a really personal engagement and it's still like a connection that you have with on a on a quite a human level, which is really cool. And I really enjoy enjoy that side of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, me too. That's my favorite part about it. So fantastic. Thanks. Thanks, Kat. Um, I appreciate you sharing that. That's a great place to wrap it up. So I just wonder in closing, if you want to 
tell people where they can follow along with your journey and um, and find out about what you're up to. Uh, so I am on Instagram as at Wellington Trady Lady. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Thank you so much for listening listening to my rambles. It's been it's been lovely talking with you. Oh, no worries. Yeah, likewise. Thanks very much. And I appreciate your time and, and your contribution. I think the the topic of the you know flexible work week is is one that's really interesting and will spark a lot of people's thoughts about uh, perhaps how our generation can can tackle that problem um, because like you say it may well come to a point where we need to face it head on as the world progresses so thanks for bringing that to everyone's attention I think that's a, a it's a good one all right thanks for listening friends if like me you enjoy conversations about the love of building and creating then please consider subscribing to the show leaving a review at wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks very much to Kat for her time. Another authentic take on our industry and a pretty cool example of the wide range of people who make it up. Go and follow Kat on Instagram at Wellington Trady Lady to keep up with what she's up to. You know, reflecting on our chat about the flexible working week, I really got thinking about my own situation and how I feel about the hours I work or the time I choose to spend on my vacation and I realize that I'm a bit torn about the whole thing because of what I value maybe it's got something to do with the way I was brought up and my background but yeah when Kath said the response that she got from all those people about that story she put up about the uh, the idea of the working week or you know how many hours do you work and the kind of puff out your chest attitude about people who proudly say that they do you know 60 to 70 hours a week or something like that in our industry and uh yeah I can feel some sympathy for that you know I I definitely don't do 70 hours a week but I I don't mind doing long days uh, because I love my job. I like I like being there. My whole ethic is kind of based around hard work. You know, I told a story, or maybe not, uh, another kind of story about an anecdote that I have about my great-granddad is that he was always the first one on the job site and always the last one to leave and I just thought that was always cool you know it didn't really stand for someone who was like look at me how many hours I push or you know chasing that money real hard it was just that was his life that was his craft that was what he wanted to do it wasn't just a job for him you know there was a certain sense of for lack of a better word it is maybe pride being the one to open up site and to close it at the end of the day and knowing that you worked yeah I guess I'll say it knowing that you kind of you tried to outwork every single person on that site that day man I I'm definitely guilty of that I don't know what that is and I'm not saying that I do achieve that but that's kind of how I 
try and play my cards. That's what I want to be. I want to be known as the person who works hard. Uh, you know, my old man, when me and my brother used to play sports, when we were younger, he would always say, leave it all out on the pitch. You know, when you walk off the pitch, if you've still got energy, then you didn't try your hardest. And I kind of feel like that with work or that uh, those kind of ethics that they were really formed us, you know, that was your idea of what it was to be not only like a hard worker, but just a good person, an honest person, the person who wanted to do everything for the team. I feel like that as well, just in life in general, you know, you want to have an empty plate by the end of it. You want to just give everything. And yeah, I guess that's what I'm, striving for myself is just trying to max out or see how far you can push life it's pretty it's pretty fun actually and so i can sympathize with those people actually who want to put in those hours because uh, yeah i like working hard and i like working hard with people who like working hard that's probably my favorite thing to do so yeah, and then again, like I say, I'm torn because, yeah, you want to have time for projects like podcasting, like seeing my kids, uh, hobbies. Yeah, there's a lot more to what I want to do with life, but still work is always there. And I think the overriding theme for me is like being that hard worker. I guess I get a kick out of it. So, yeah, I'd be interested to know what other people think about that flexible working week whether it's possible in our industry what does the future look like for that you know are we getting to a place where people in general have to work less i don't know i don't know if we can uh, keep up with demand yeah who knows it's uh, one to think about though so yeah maybe get in touch if you have any interesting thoughts or stories or how you choose to spend your time at work or how you want to structure your work environment in this industry let me know thanks for listening to this outro quick update on the norway readings i'm down to 236th place in the philosophy section for podcasts in norway and i'm pretty cut up about it it's ruining my whole week, not even going to lie. So, I don't want to do something about it. Norway. <sighs> Old Norway. I've decided that I'm going to run like a mini campaign and make it the sole purpose of this podcast to be <laughs> the number one ranked philosophy podcast in Norway at least once. However fleeting that may be. I think that's a fair goal. So if I get there, that's it. Um, podcast, life complete. Number one philosophy rate podcast in Norway. I'm going to start a crowdfunding campaign. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to advertise this. I'm going to get everyone support. 
going to hire an agent. I'm going to learn Norwegian. Um, yeah, that's what I'm going to do if that's what it takes. So get ready. Get ready, Norway. I'm sad. I'm dropping down the rankings in Norway. Not cool. So watch out. I'm coming for number one with a bullet. All right. <laughs> that's enough of that garbage. Oh, no one's naming this outro, outro listening family. At least no one who doesn't already have a chip away hat. So I'm just going to leave this as an open invitation to anyone who's listening right now. If you want a as color five panel hat with a chip away logo, leave a comment in this post that I'll leave on Instagram for this episode. Name a group name the type of person who listens to podcast outros from the 236th ranked podcast in Norway soon to be number one maybe then we'll have plenty of names maybe a Norwegian name does anyone know Norwegian is there a cool Norwegian word for guinea pig breeder let me know okay Thanks again to you for your time and support. I appreciate it. You can follow me on Instagram at ChipawayCarpenter to keep up to date with what's happening on the podcast. And until the next one, keep chipping away. Norway. <laughs>